0: To the Haunted Hacker podcast number 46 with my good friend Dana and I'll have Dana introduce herself here in a minute. Um, no earth-shattering news this week other than there was a confluence vulnerability that was listed today <clears throat> with um, no real patch but a simple workaround uh, so and it's been uh, seen being exploited in a wild pretty vastly so you, if you have confluence you have a client who has confluence may want to have them check that out. Uh, so Dana, it's good to have you on my show. I've been on your show before and, and uh, it was a lot of fun, even though I had dogs barking in the background. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background and, and who you are?
1: Sure, well, I'm very happy to be here. And yes, we did have a very good time when you were on my show. So my name is Dana Mantilla, and I am the founder of Identity Protection Planning. And uh, I'm a big LinkedIn person where I'm on LinkedIn most of the time, that's for kind of where my, my world is.
0: So tell me how you got your start in cybersecurity.
1: So it kind of goes back to the identity theft protection world. Um, probably about say six years ago, I wanted to offer a product to our clients that was identity theft protection, but I couldn't find anything that was B2B that I could then offer to C. Uh, so I got together with a software company in California, and we came up with a product, uh, Dentron, and it monitors credit, does dark web scans, has an AIG insurance policy, all that kind of stuff. So after we got that launched, that's when I started to realize how much education is needed out there in the world for all different age groups, all different people, when it comes to identity theft, scammers, and uh, cyber crimes. So. I thought well how am i going to be able to help get this message out here i'm not a technical person i can't you know talk it so i just thought well let me just try to do some basic little videos to help people explain things in the same way i would learn to explain understand them so i started doing some videos and um People would kind of just private message me. I didn't really get a lot of traffic or anything, but I did one on synthetic identity and I used my daughter's American girl dolls. And people messaged me and said, Oh, now I understand what that is. I had no idea, you know, what that was, or even had never even heard of it before. So that's kind of how I got my my starting here. And then um, you know, I think people just kind of, yeah, I thought they were gonna say, What is this goofy lady doing in such a serious field? Um, but just the opposite. I think they just see me as a regular person they can relate to. So kind of, they take the information away and then they can hopefully remember it and go use it.
0: Yeah, this, uh, I think it's an important point is the education part of it. And it's kind of something that we've been talking about on the podcast for the last couple of weeks, um, the last couple of podcasts actually. Uh, the fact that you know, we tend to blame the, the users too much uh, for failures within an organization. Um, and the bottom line is, you know, the users aren't brought into a company for cybersecurity. Um, it's not their primary job, um, and I think as an industry we fail quite a lot at breaking it down to where other people can can understand. Um, you know, Gary Berman had a had an interesting take on cybersecurity as well with his cybersecurity hero uh, type cartoon stuff. Um, but I think it goes beyond that. I think it I think it hits to where. You know, we shouldn't blame the user, but we need to be able to break it down, explain it, and become one unit, uh, because it's impossible to fight cybercrime in silos. And in my mind, you know, the the, the cybercrime and the cybersecurity issue and 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 uh, equation encompasses all aspects of the business. What would be your opinion on that, Dana? Well,
1: I think that we, you know, we keep throwing more and more money at cybersecurity and the problems just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And I just think it's because the way we're trying to approach it doesn't really work. You know, a lot of small business owners, they still think, oh, this is just an IT department's problem. And, you know, if we look at where 85% of the problems are really stemming from, it's from the non-technical staff. So if we just got that all squared away and had a little bit of basic cyber hygiene that people would learn, we would be in a much different, different place as a country, as businesses, you know, in their own little um, place. But I think that, you know, also, we can't just tell the the employees that you're going to get fired if you click on this bad, 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 you know, that that doesn't work. And I, my attitude is to say, well, let's, let's teach them something that's going to help them personally, maybe help protect themselves, their kids, their older parents. And if we can get them to, you know, wanna be interested in that kind of stuff. Oh, what is my kid doing on social media? What, my mother's getting a phone call from who, you know and the more we can start these conversations it changes the culture around the cybersecurity awareness within our regular lives. And then that will will spill over to, you know the way that people look at work emails and and phone calls coming in and should I be giving information out that someone's asking for and and just kind of making sure that we're always questioning things much more so than we are now. And I think but up till now, we've had the IT department try to come up with training, if there even is any training. And it's very complex, or it's once a year, and it's boring, and people just sit there and suffer through it. And then they're like, oh, thank God, that's all over. I don't need to do it till next year. And they go right back to exactly what they were doing before they sat down for that for that webinar. So I think we need to approach it differently and make sure that we're focusing on the non-technical people.
0: Yeah, A lot of people, you know, a lot of organizations have the cybersecurity awareness training where basically you can click through it. Um, I, I'm guilty of that, uh, you know, being tasked with, you know, I have to fill this out within a certain amount of time and just hitting next, 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 and getting the certi- certificate off the you know, printer and turning it in. Um, and that, to me, that's not really effective. And especially like right now, like you talked about, you know, g- giving them some sort of intelligence or some sort of, you know, training that would help the family as well. Um, you know, looking at the way the pandemic has gone and, and where it may be going, um, you know, I'm not saying lockdown is, is imminent, but we're going in that direction. And again, when we have that, you know, you, you do encompass the family into that that operations picture for an organization because they are part of your network. And really the responsibility is within the home to secure that, but that mixed environment becomes part of the corporate environment as well. Um I've done a couple of talks on that. I think it's really crucial that companies understand that you know at this point in time with this environment, that they're not only educating the employee, but everybody attached to that network as well. Um, and there's been a lot of focus. I mean, when the pandemic first hit, you saw a lot of VPNs getting hit. Um, a lot of VPN issues like Pulse Secure, stuff like that. I actually just cleaned up some uh, ransomware from an environment that was using Pulse Secure VPN. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a pretty prevalent issue. And with the pandemic, uh, you know, the de-strain and all that stuff, it looks like we may be heading back in that direction, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that you're about to launch a podcast. Tell me about this, this new podcast you got.
1: So I'm very excited about this. Is I've been, um, I guess, dragging my feet a little bit. Uh, but I'm excited to launch it. So I'm gonna be interviewing people like yourself, right? We're gonna have some of the bad hackers turn good that are gonna help educate us. And uh, the, during our call, our talk that we had on my show, you put po- you out a lot of great things and things that I had mentioned to people, but when I say it, they're like, oh yeah, whatever. But when you say it, they're like, oh, wow. That's really how we got information through a Facebook quiz, you know, stuff like that." that. All the little tricks of the trade so i'm excited to have that part on there um i have unfortunately i have a few victims of identity theft and some cyber crimes that are going to tell their story and i think that's very important because we 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 are storytellers by nature and when people hear stories then they remember the story versus just someone telling them something so hopefully some of these will resonate with people and they hopefully won't get caught in some of those uh, scams or those victims of identity theft I have a couple of uh, FBI people that are going to be on there, and um, I have somebody who talked talk about cyber liability insurance. You know, for s- small organizations, which I think with cyber liability insurance, it's kind of a lot of people haven't even heard of it, and by the time they get around to even thinking about it, the premiums are just going to be ridiculous, and that's going to kind of go away because the ransomware attacks are just eating all that up. So. Anyway, but um, yeah, I'm excited to have a wide variety of people on there, and I want to talk about things that are affecting, you know, regular individuals, things that are affecting their kids, and like I mentioned, some of their adult parents, um, you know, scams are coming through all different ways now, as we know, and the more that we can change our thought process around them, um, you know, the better off we'll be. I always say, you know, a lot of these scams revolve around emotion and urgency, so if if we have something that is thrown at us that's like, well, you have to do this right now, you have to act right now. You know, if we really sit back and think about in our lives, how much stuff really has to happen right now? Not a lot, you know? So is this something like I have to log into my account right now and re-up, re-up, you know, my password and everything? Or is this just something that's trying to play off of that whole urgency thing? So,
0: Yeah, a lot of it goes back to people not thinking that they could possibly be a target. You know, I, I get a lot of people saying, well, I'm a retired, you know woman of 67 and, and, you know, what do they want me for? You know, what do they want my information for? Um, but there's, there's tons of reasons behind it. Recently, my mom sent me a, an email just yesterday, actually. And she said, there is a company that wants to talk to, to you, but they emailed me on my personal email address. I said, mom, do not click on that, please. Hmm. Because first of all, I don't know who they are. Second of all, you definitely don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. So more than likely, it's probably a scam, but that happens every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just for financial information. It's to get at other people as well. You may be connected to somebody else, or you may have a family member that, you know, may be in cybersecurity or may have an important position somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, And they approach those type of people as well. Um, You know, and it's strange, like you look at LinkedIn, and LinkedIn is probably one of the best places to do information gathering and intelligence gathering. Because there's a lot of people who put a lot of information out there Um, and that's one thing i've tried to to preach about during my career is that the more information you put out there the more vulnerable you are Mm -hmm. Uh, we just did a uh OSINT uh, open source intelligence gathering operation on an executive Um, he had hired us to do his own personal kind of digging so what we found was he he was very cognizant of hiding his information not disclosing too much But his family wasn't. And that was the key. You know, being able to find, you know, his wife's email address, their physical address, their children's names, the stuff they post on social media really kind of sold him out. Um, So, you know, I always tell people be aware of what your family posts and and share that information. You know, just because you're security minded and, and you're doing the next best thing doesn't mean that you're completely protected. And I think that's another thing that we need to focus on as an industry is it's not just an employee problem. It's everybody around you. Like when I went to intelligence school, one of the first things they told me was take a different route home from school every day. Don't get stuck in the same routine because routines are predictable. And that's a good way to collect information on people. But I mm. think uh, for your podcast, I think it'd be really cool to have like a former CIA agent to you know sit on sit on a panel and talk about how they do tradecraft and how they, you know, look for information.
1: Oh, we, I would love that. Do we know anyone?
0: We do actually. <laughs>
1: ah, yes. Perfect. Great.
0: <laughs> so I'll, I'll see if I can't connect you. Uh, I've had a couple, couple retirees uh, approach me lately, just recently from the CIA. So maybe we can get them on, get them on a couple of podcasts and have them talk about, you know, former operations as much as they can. Yeah. Um, yeah. So another thing that we're facing in the industry too is the whole skills gap thing. Um, you know, I won't go too far into it, but you know, it's really frustrating when you look at some of the certifications that are out there. You know, They seem to be more vendor specific, more 10,000 foot, like really don't give you a lot of detail other than, hey, pay, pay this 10,000 and we'll give you a cert- certificate. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see more basic cyber awareness certificates you know, get a certification in how to protect yourself from OSINT. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we focus too much on technology and not enough on people, I think.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think now, you know, there there's so much demand for in the cybersecurity world for, and it's only going to grow as... Um, Time goes on and I think we need to find a way to communicate with the younger people that there's a huge opportunity here, even if you're not a technical person there's still a huge opportunity. I'm doing a talk on a position that I think is really going to be developing over the next few years called the BISO, right the business information security officer who works with the CISO and helps communicate and translate the information to the regular people. And you know, there's a little bit of a compliance aspect to this. So they're making sure that everybody understands they've done their training, they know what to do if there is some kind of a situation, they know what's expected of them. And, you know, just a lot of basic, basic things that, that go into place. So whatever the password policy is, that they know that someone from HR is not going to call them and say, hey, can you give me your login information? We're just keeping track of it or whatever some story is going to be. Um, physical security, who's allowed in the building, who's not allowed in the building, you know, and, and physical security, when we think about it as far as home now, because you're not really thinking of physical security because it's not like the office where everyone goes to the front door. You know, it's, it's my house. It's not a big deal, but it still is something you need to. To be thinking about, you know, with your work computer and all that kind of stuff. So, I,
0: I would say for those people who don't think it's a big deal, maybe go out to Shodan and do a scan for surveillance cameras and where people put surveillance cameras. Um, at one point, I was doing a scan. There was something like 50,000 uh, worldwide that I was actually logged into, um, and people put security cameras in the strangest places, like their bedroom or their home office, pointing at their computer. So literally i could watch them type in their passwords on the mm-hmm. security camera uh, nice. so people don't people don't think about that you know it, physical is is sort of a mix between physical and electronic mm-hmm. um, because if i can't physically be in your house maybe you have a device like a desk doorbell or a refrigerator that i can yeah. tap into and then i'm there physically kind of virtually but physically as well mm-hmm. um, so that's another interesting aspect so what have you been up to since the last time we spoke
1: Oh, what have I been up to? I've done um, a few talks. I uh, actually, I taught some Saudi Arabian businessmen on how to become a certified identity protection advisor. That was very interesting. I uh, that was, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I was afraid the whole entire time because we were supposed to have a hurricane where I was and I had to get up really, really early in the morning and I kept just looking out the window and seeing these trees that were like ready to snap off. I just kept telling them, "Um, if I just disappear, it's just <laughs> because we're in the middle of a hurricane. So who would have thought that would ever happen the same day as the kickoff?" So, I did that. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, doing a lot of of speaking, um, involved with the CMMC with the Department of Defense, um, the Connecticut Coalition. Uh, I do lots of videos for that specifically, and. You know, what that is, is the new Department of Defense's cybersecurity regulations are rolling out over the next five years. And so what my goal is, is to create this big library of videos. And again, they're all very specific topics on CMMC aspects so that when somebody finds out in their contract, let's say two years from now, that they have to have CMMC certification and they say, well, what's that, you know, and then they go to Google or to YouTube and they start typing in what is CMMC these videos will pop up and they'll, number one, give them some hope that they can achieve it because it's a little overwhelming, especially if you haven't been doing much. And then number two, they'll give them a little bit of specific tools or tips on how they can start their their CMMC journey, so that's what I'm gonna
0: do. Would you compare CMCC to maybe FedRAMP or or another one of those government audits?
1: Yes, and again, I'm not too into the technical thing, but it's based off of mainly NIST 800-171. And then there's a couple of different uh, additional factors and then there's different levels. I think the biggest challenge with this is going to be that before everything was um, self-assessment, mm-hmm. and anytime you put self-assessment in there, and you can say, "Oh yeah, we're doing that, we're doing this, we're doing that," you know, that's very, very different than what's going to happen because this they're sending out a third-party ind- independent auditor, and uh, it's pass/fail too. So that is uh, that's a big difference. Even if the requirements were the same, but when you're sending somebody else out and it's going to be past fail. so I know they're still working on some of these things. but the moral of the story is we all need to be doing some cyber security. that's that's the, the the baseline and that's all the DoD wants. They just want to make sure that their contractors are following some sort of you know protocol with this because of all the intelligence and information that's being stolen every single day, you know by uh, our, the not so nice uh, adversaries out there that would love to get their hands on our information. so
0: anyway, Exactly. And, uh, you know, looking at just the recent attacks, um, the State Department was recently attacked. I was really hoping that they would erase whatever file they had that revoked my passport, but I wasn't that lucky. Um, But yeah, just different agencies like that continuously get attacked and continuously just get used and abused. And it's like, you know, looking at FedRAMP and being a FedRAMP auditor at one point, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, there's poems and tons of checklists and, and it's really stringent. And it amazes me how many government agencies pass that Fed ramp, but get attacked and get compromised. Mm-hmm. It's like, <clears throat> it's a snapshot in time um, idea that I think we've got to get away from as well. And with the new company that I'm working with, that's kind of what we do we no longer do like the pen tests, you know, just, you know, here's a snapshot in time, here's, you know, a handful of IPs. Okay, here's your score. Um, We offer them a bucket of hours to where if you need someone to take a look at your ACL or if you need someone to take a look at your SIM, um, that all goes into that same bucket of hours as a pen test. And that way it's a continuous relationship and it's continuously helping them strengthen their security posture. Um, I think a lot of people in a lot of the compliance checks, you know, court every quarter or maybe twice a year, they only have to be good for that period of time. And then the rest of the year, they can slack off and, and you know, be vulnerable. Um, that, that's my biggest complaint about the way the government looks at security is just a snapshot in time.
1: Mm -hmm. I think a lot of organizations, even the private ones, they look at it like that, too. It's like like a test. We're going to cram for the test. We're going to take the test and then we're just going to forget all the information. And this has to somehow become a cultural change. And I don't know exactly how we all go about that. And whoever can figure that out, that can get this to people at the forefront of people's minds is is gonna be a genius. So we guess I guess we just have to keep, you know, working on it. My thing is I always say we just have to have more and more conversations about this because the more that we're talking about it, the more, you know, one person shares their sor- their story or their experience. Someone else is going to learn from it. Maybe they run into something like that and they say, hmm, that looks a little suspicious. I'm not gonna do that. That reminds me of that story I just heard.
0: So that'll it, help everybody. It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid, you know, those public service announcements that were kind of okay. cartoony. Why mm-hmm. can't we have those for cybersecurity? You know, yeah. they always have that time out on the weekends where, you know, they would put together these nice little cartoons for the kids to teach them something. Mm-hmm. We should be doing the same thing with cybersecurity.
1: That's an excellent idea. It really is an excellent idea. And I mean, that's what I'm kind of hoping on, on a very small scale, obviously, with my little podcast is that. You know, that's why I wanna make sure it's gonna be entertaining because nobody's gonna to wanna to listen to something that's just like, well, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. It's like, No, there's gotta be you know, something that's a little bit exciting or juicy in there. So um, I have to keep work, working on that, but uh, that, that's, a, that's a great idea if we did something like that where there are public service announcements, you, know, you have to learn one tip a week. And then it also, it's a continual thing. You know, Again, it's not that snapshot. We have to get away from the snapshot mentality when it comes to cybersecurity.
0: Yeah, I think that's, as an industry, we have failed in that, in that portion. Um, just, you know, just like how we have to keep ourselves to a certain compliance and we have to meet a certain compliance, the hackers also know what these compliances are and they know what check boxes you have to check. So if you only have to do that twice a year, they know the rest of you, you're probably not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a huge gap.
1: And I think that, you know, unfortunately to get everybody to learn, I think, sadly, I think this, but. I think over the next year and a half, there's going to be a tremendous amount of ransomware attacks on small, medium sized businesses. They're going to go out of business. And then the ones that are left standing are finally going to say, you know, I need to do something here because, you know, it's like watching your neighbor's house burn down. You know, oof, well, I better make sure I, that doesn't happen to me. And I, sadly, I think that's the only way that we kind of learn sometimes is when something crazy like that happens.
0: Yeah, I saw something really crazy. I got woken up at like five o'clock in the morning for a uh, ransomware incident, and it was actually healthcare. Um, and it was pretty drastic. And the, the amount of panic and the amount of urgency that, that was floating around on those conference calls was amazing. But one thing I, I've learned over working some of these ransomware events <clears throat> is that the cybersecurity insurance um, has a strange relationship with the incident responders. Um, the first thing that everybody's concerned with, it seemed like it wasn't, let's get this client up and running. It was more, how much do the threat actors want? Mm-hmm. And it was almost like they were pushing that to pay the ransom before they're even looking at bringing the client back up. Mm-hmm. And we already had the, the plan of action and it would have brought them up super quick, but they were, they were locked into answering their, their cybersecurity insurance company's questions about the threat actor instead of actually rolling out what could have brought them up quicker. Um, and I've also seen, you know, incidents like that where it becomes a sales pitch mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like going to a funeral and, and trying to offer, you know, the family of the deceased some kind of package, vacation package, you know, it's just, it's rude, you know, and um, that's one of the biggest complaints I've heard is that I'm trying to get my business back up and running. I don't want to buy anything right now. I, mm-hmm. I want to get operational. I have people's lives on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be interested to see, you know, the connections between the insurance companies and some of these incident response companies, because I think it's a close relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're definitely watching out for the insurance company much more so than the client. The other thing people have to be very careful of with the cyber liability insurance is. What, what are they, they thinking that you're doing? What are they assuming that you are have in place already? Because that checklist is getting finer and finer and finer and finer as what they're expecting you to do. And the last thing you wanna be doing is paying for cyber liability insurance. And then when the time comes and you need it, and they say, oh, well, you weren't doing this and you weren't doing that, so this isn't gonna be covered. I mean, here you are, you're in a hot mess as it is. And now you, you got the, the insurance guy telling you, oh, by the way, this isn't gonna be covered too. So, and that's what people need to understand is that if you are hit and people's you have a data breach, were a ransomware attack, either one, you know, the data reach are going to be responsible for protecting those people's information over the next, I don't know, however long, depending upon how sensitive the information is, that's a big expense that, you know, companies don't have all this extra money kicking around. I mean, some of them do, but not a lot of them. And which is why they don't really want to dedicate much of their budget to cybersecurity in the first place. So I don't know, just be very careful. If you do have a cyber liability insurance policy, to, you might want to read it, read through it, and then see what it's actually going to cover and what you, what they're assuming your responsibilities are.
0: It kind of reminds me of the healthcare industry when you go into the hospital and you get the uh, explanation of benefits, and here's what the insurance will cover, and here's your bill. And your bill always seems to be pretty large anyways, mm-hmm. so it doesn't surprise me that cyber insurance is no different. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, like, if, if you look if you look into the future into, let's say, 2022, what do you think our biggest issue is going to be in 2022? Well,
1: I mean, I think the ransomware attack thing is going to just c- continue to explode because it's working. You know, it's 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 a it's a model that is proving successful for the uh, you know the hackers to go in there and and they're getting paid. They're they're paying the ransom. If nobody ever paid a ransom, then obviously that would end the desire for anybody to be in there. But I mean, I'm sure you know much more than I do that this is. They're very. They're, they have uh, professionals behind this. They have tools that you can buy. They have all this stuff that you can put together to, you know, perform a ransomware attack. And the problem is, is a lot of these small businesses. They say, well, I don't really have anything that's that valuable, and that they, you know, the hackers, as you know, they know that too. So, and they say, well, this is a small company, so they're not going to put a ransom at five million dollars. They're going to put a ransom at say fifty thousand dollars. That you know, maybe that is a stretch for a small company, but you could probably, you could probably find the money somewhere. And that's, that's where the problem is. So I, I would guess that that's not gonna really improve too much um, through 2022.
0: Yeah, I think that having a big industry like cybersecurity you know, insurance also motivates the ransomware attackers because they know that most people have that insurance now. Mm-hmm. That company may not be able to pay the 50,000 but the insurance company sure will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see a lot of that as well. Um, I actually saw a, a ransomware attack where the attackers um, actually used commercial products to encrypt the disk, and I thought, wow, that's you know they must not they must either not have a lot of confidence in their coding ability, or they're rookies. Either they're way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: either way it was effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the most most interesting comment from the incident response company was it was about six ish probably maybe a little bit after 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, the client had asked the IR team, you know, have you heard back from the attackers? And the instant response team says, well, no, no, it's after five. They usually don't work after five. Uh, I had to scratch my head. I'm thinking, is it really that organized where they they punch a clock at 5 p.m.? Like, really? But I guess it's become a business, like a mm-hmm. nine to five business in some cases. And some of the threat actors actually have call centers where you can call in and, and negotiate. Uh, it's, it's really kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I found really strange was the FBI um, taking money from the attackers, uh, their Bitcoin, their, their cryptocurrency. Um, I think there needs to be more of that. And mm-hmm. I think there needs to be more, not necessarily hackbacks, but I think the government needs to be involved a little bit more. Um, because a lot of these countries that are exploiting people for ransomware and ransom it, are countries that we have trade embargoes on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, like when we put, you know, restrictions on Iran or on China, uh, the first thing they do is go out and try to steal crypto or you see a lot of ransomware attacks. Um, and that's the way that they, they can compensate those those embargoes. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's really interesting. So I'm going to open it up to questions for the couple of people that we have on today. Um, we usually have the, the podcast on Saturdays and, and, you know, tape on Saturdays, but I've narrowed it down to make it kind of more of an intimate uh, exchange between me and the guest before we had so many people coming on and it was just mm-hmm. convoluted. So, but I'll open it up. I know Kim probably has a couple questions. Um, I'll let her unmute herself if she wants to. Um, I'm really looking forward to the podcast that you're, that you come up with. Um, I really enjoyed that, that CMCC um, episode. That was, was a mm-hmm. lot of fun.
1: We'll have to do another one.
0: Absolutely. So mm-hmm. in the meantime, do you have any questions for me or, or for the group?
1: Me? Yeah. I do, yes. What do you see is going to happen in 2022?
0: Oh, man. So I, I, I was on the phone with somebody yesterday talking about this, and the government is in a really tight spot right now. Um, having to answer for world events and for you know failures within the infrastructure stuff like that um, I think we're going to see more government directed attacks uh, more infrastructure attacks mm-hmm. I'm starting to see it now even on a small scale starting to see more probing of the of the infrastructure um, and I look for probably I don't want to be a predictor act like Nostradamus but I'm, I'm. I think I'm going to see a lot more probes, and maybe some more attacks on mass travel, mass transit, uh, whether it be trains, planes, whatever. Um, possibly shipping, uh, you know, maritime mm-hmm. shipping. And I'm also doing a, a an engagement in the Virgin Islands in December for super yachting. Um, a lot of people don't understand the vulnerabilities exist in large, you know, shipping, large maritime or even you know the the luxury yachting industry cuz you think about it you know these these large super yachts take you know a listers out into international waters mm-hmm. and it's like the transactions that occur to escape those monetary restrictions in international waters th- those are big transactions and so there's a lot of money to be had if you can get into that network so user I, I example I've thought about that yeah, I hadn't either until this past year and I was invited to go on this and I thought, you know, that's, that's a really good point. There, there's a lot of money being exchanged out there in international international waters. Um, so we have one question. He says, uh, Dana, you are the queen of many videos with all the costume changes. What made you use humor and costume changes like this as a route to getting cyber across to your clients and the public?
1: Well, thank you for your question. Um, I, I... I was trying to find a way to make this entertaining so i mean learning about this stuff cybersecurity, identity theft it's very dry and you know you look at what these kids look at on youtube nowadays it's the stupidest dumbest things that are getting the most attention like look look at the milk crate challenge i mean what could be more stupid than stacking these things up these poor people when they fall they look like they're breaking their head or breaking their back so i think the goofy factor is is what we're all kind of looking for so I thought well how could I actually do this with adding some humor so then I thought well I could put some costumes together so then I I have to sit down and think about okay you know what am I going to do for this or what for that. I mean the Amazon boxes were arriving like every single day and my poor kids were like what is she doing now you know this is like mortifying mom so. Now they've finally gotten over that. They just know that I'm a little crazy. So, um, so I thought that it would help with keeping people's attention, and then hoping that they would remember, you know, you know what it is. Like for example, my gran- my the the grandparents scam phone call that I have dressed up like little grandma, you know, talking to the little Mexican guy at the jail, and you know, it's it's funny. So hopefully people will remember that. But then more importantly, they're going to remember to tell their mom, oh, I saw this funny video about a topic that's not very funny, but you need to make sure if someone ever calls and says that, you know, Johnny's in a Mexican prison. It's not true, so that's what made me think about uh, using it to keep people's I, attention. I,
0: I love that 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 kind of uh, aspect of bringing humor into it because cybersecurity can be a pretty dark subject. If you look at it, um, mm-hmm. I, I I don't tend to bring a whole lot of humor to it. Maybe I'll try that.
1: Um, <laughs> well, you can bring the the technical knowledge that, that I don't have. So I mean, you're you're in a whole different uh, different ball game.
0: So Alex says Microsoft is pledged and agreed to help us, help the government with cybersecurity. What are your thoughts on private companies, giants getting involved in public government or public government level cybersecurity? I guess, you know, in in a nutshell, the connection between NSA and and Microsoft is pretty strong. We talked about that on the last last podcast with uh, Chris Roberts. So what do you think about the government getting involved with the big tech giants and, and the relationships there?
1: Well, I think this is something that we all need to be working on together. So I think that, you know, if Microsoft and I, I saw a little bit of that podcast, you guys did a great job. Um, if they want to help out and, and dedicate some money to, you know, get cleaning up this mess. I mean, this is for all of our safety, all of our benefit. I mean, the, the, the country's welfare, our own welfare, our business's welfare. So, I mean, that's my personal thing. I don't really know as much of the nitty gritty, you know, about all that, that you would know with them working together. But that's my first reaction.
0: I would like to see big tech. You know like twitter and google not get involved so politically um, i think that's where they're failing their their customers on their platform is taking a political stance um, whether you know they're banning trump for life because of his tweets or banning biden because you know of his lack of tweets who knows um, but i just don't think that they should be politically involved or, or have an opinion um, mm-hmm. Everybody has a right to free speech. And, and that's one thing I was talking to my friends about. Um, a lot of my friends are on, on Facebook and they put out these tweets because they're very political. A lot of them are veterans. Um, and a couple have been like put in Facebook jail, mm-hmm. whatever that consists of. Um, and it's because of comments they've made about you know, a political party. Mm-hmm. And it's only a specific political party. You know, but yet you have the Taliban with Twitter accounts, mm-hmm. and it took them ages to ban them. And this mm-hmm. is a known terrorist organization. So I, I think, you know, politics needs to separate itself from the First Amendment. You know, let the people talk, let them say what they want to say, let them have their own opinions. If not, we're no different than Russia or a social, you know, socialist or communist country. That's my take. Yeah, um, I agree
1: with that. I think that politics needs to get out of a lot of things because it's just it's getting in the middle of everything and then it's just dividing everyone. So I agree with that.
0: Yeah, and I, I have my own theory about that. Um, and it, you know, I'll put on the tin hat for a second. But when you take a step back and you look at the government, the government's one big enterprise now. Uh, you know, they they still have the Republican and Democrat parties for that division. And what that does is divides the people. And if you divide the people, they're much weaker than if they were all together as one. So you can play your games behind the scenes and exchange money as an enterprise, but they have to appear divided to the public in order to keep some sort of control. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see, Kim says, when you're speaking with C-suite of larger corporations regarding training versus tooling, what are the most common things that you hear from them? The same question, except, when you are talking to SMBs and individuals? That for me? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think a lot of it is, whether it's a big company or a, or a smaller company, They the, they do not know or understand the IT department at all. They don't have a clue what needs to be done, what doesn't need to be done. They don't know what's excessive, you know, so, they're trusting that someone's going to be explaining it to them. And whenever I talk to MSPs and anybody that's going to be dealing with having a conversation with the, the C-suite, that they have to make sure that they're having a conversation that they, that the uh, the CEO can understand. Because if they if they start talking and all that technical thing they have no idea what the person's saying, but when they can say, let's talk about, let's talk about these people. Let's just take a smaller company. Let's talk about these people and their computer. So where are they working? You know, what are they doing? How are they logging in? You know, and you're having now that person can still stay with that conversation. And that's what I would say the the biggest thing is. So I tell the MSPs to make sure that they're keeping the language down. And I I, I always try to speak in layman's terms. I mean, because I can't speak in IT terms anyway, but um, just making sure that they understand, you know, what are the goals here? What is your biggest fear? what is the biggest fear of something happening? And they say, oh, well, somebody getting this, whatever. Okay, well then let's, let's talk about that. Um, with the smaller uh, business owners, the same question pops up almost every single time. I have no idea where to even start. That's, that's, that's what they say. They just, they just come right out and they say, I have no idea where to start what I need to do. Um, and that's a very overwhelming feeling with anything in our lives. When you really realize yeah, I got to start dealing with this, but I, ha- I don't even have a clue. You know, it's like an episode of hoarders going in there and saying, where are we going to start here? You know, <laughs> this is a wreck. It's the same thing.
0: And I think it's the same mentality too. When, you know, people start hoarding and they don't know when to stop. They just turn around and walk away. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of companies do that as well. You know, I've, I've seen some companies with some really bad security posture and it's the same mentality as, you know, well, there's so much and I'm so overwhelmed mm-hmm. and so many things come out daily. You know, how do you stay on top of it? But I think a lot of it goes back to being able to, to do the basics and do the basics well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody's so concerned with AI and machine learning and, you know, I want the, the shiniest bells and whistles mm-hmm. but they can't secure their email. Um, exactly. so, you know, it's like, exactly. a, it's like an M&M without chocolate in the middle. It just crushes, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so if yeah. At I, the bottom.
1: So if yeah. you start at the bottom with everybody, like, let's start with the most basic thing. Okay. So now everyone's doing the most basic thing. Then we add one more thing and going up that way, as opposed to overwhelming, you know, the C-suite or the, or the business owner with, you got to sign up for this. You got to have this, this technology and this technology. And they're like, Oh, cause I mean, it's natural for our brains. And when we, we get overwhelmed with anything, we shut down. Anything, doesn't matter what it is. So, you, you don't, we, that's what you have to avoid is, is so it's a lot easier to say, okay, we're going to start down here, we're going to work our way, way up this way. Obviously, you have to have some technology in, in place to make sure you're secure, but don't overwhelm the conversation with it 100%. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. And the, the technical talk really, you know, when you look at other people in an organization like HR or you look at, you know, operations, they're there to do a job. And it goes back to my original comment. They are there. To, they were brought in because I have a specific set of skills. And if they were brought in for cybersecurity awareness, they would be in cybersecurity. But they're not. Um, and I think the most important part of any organization's relationships, um, when I worked in oil and gas, I would go in early every morning and, and visit each group. I just stop by and say hello, you know, and get away from the whole idea of when I first got in cybersecurity, when I'd walk down the hall, it was like, Darth Vader music playing in the background and everybody would scatter. Like, you know, nobody wants to talk to security. So I tried to reverse that and be as friendly as possible and and stop by and I would buy donuts on Friday. Like, hey, you know, I'm not a bad person. We're not here to get you in trouble. You know, we're here to make things easier for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if people, more people could take a stance like that and build relationships between units, it'd be much easier. Um, Yeah, absolutely. from, From the point and click, you know, awareness training. I mean, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous.
1: Right, nobody wants to do that.
0: Yeah, there was a comment on one of the earlier podcasts where I don't know if, um, there's a company that does a lot of phishing training. Um, I'm sure you know who that is. Uh, famous ex Hacker is a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, but so their training is, here's an email and tell me what you would do. There's clickable links and they're telling you to click on these links but then when you click on them, they're telling you not to click on other links. So it really confuses like the average user. Like you go through these trainings mm-hmm. and you're supposed to click on links to find out you know, what it meant. But then when a phishing email comes in, it's no longer a training platform. Mm-hmm. And now you've given them that question, well, am I supposed to click here now? Or am I spo- what am I supposed to do? A lot of it's misleading. And I think a lot of it's just to generate money and ge- generate revenue. Um, so Alex yeah. was talking about Apple and scanning iPhones for child abuse. Um, and due to the backlash from customers thought on such technology on a decision to pull back. And that, that's, to me, that's another, I guess, um, invasive reach of the government because they're the ones that are trying to push that agenda. When you look at, you know, when a terrorist in California, their, their iPhones were locked and they actually had to, to find somebody to unlock them um, and to break into these phones so that they get pertinent you know, details and intelligence. Again, that, that's another tie-in from big government to you know, places like Apple, places like Microsoft. Um, I do know Microsoft has their own uh, platform, it's Windows, but the NSA has their own version of, of Windows with not so many vulnerabilities in them. Um, so that's, that's one thing to remember too, is that you know, we're given an operating system and you know it may not be that secure but there are controls or are measures to to harden your os and and to really get you know strengthen it a little bit
1: Uh, well it's interesting about about that when you look at alexa and alexa is listening all the time and you have to you have to go out of your way to change the privacy settings and they don't really go out of their way to advertise the fact that you have to change the privacy settings so um you know i think that that's a fine line with you know where big tech sits sits with all this stuff so uh i don't know obviously what's going to wind up happening with that but as, if people are concerned about intrusion they should be looking around their house at all the other stuff that's uh, tracking and watching everything that they're doing too
0: i guess uh i guess the government didn't like me speaking about the government on zoom uh, the lights <laughs> flickered and everything went dark for a second um but anyways another interesting fact about alexa too is that Amazon didn't really publish this very well, but they just came out with a new skill for Alexa that's called always on. So it listens to noise in the room, ambient noise. And if they hear somebody come into the room, then immediately starts either playing music as you programmed it or listening for a command. Um, And they had promised that the microphone is not always on unless you initiate it. But now they've got a new skill that leaves it on the entire time.
1: Well, there's one thing I just did a, a video on smart devices, and you know, mainly Alexa. And one of the things was that it said in the um, the original setup that it was it said it's it's awakened when it hears its name, right? Awakened. But it says it's always listening and reporting back to its servers every three minutes. Well, why are they doing this? And then there was this one situation where somebody. Um, received a message from somebody else's uh, Alexa. And it was a whole recorded conversation of something that had gone on in their house. So she immediately called them and said, hey, you got to unplug your Alexa. Just send me this whole conversation you guys were talking about. you know." And then, of course, Amazon said, oh, they fixed that. They don't know why that happened. But the idea that that could even happen and what conversation could have been heard and sent to you know somebody. So I'm going to be careful with all these things.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the, the CIA had an operation and a tool called Weeping Angel. And they would find targets and they would take a USB and actually go into the home and put the USB into these smart TVs and run an exploit. And that way they would get video, they would get audio, they get everything from that smart TV on their marked target. Um, of course, I'm, I'm assuming there was some sort of warrant behind that, but mm-hmm. it, it was leaked to the public and that's where a lot of smart TV exploits came from. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. And I focused a whole lot on you know, pieces of IoT and different uh, technology you could have in your home Um, for most of the pandemic. I I gave like three or four talks about, you know, how your home can be used against you. Uh, And it's really true. And Mm -hmm. the more technology we have come out with those types of of capabilities, the worse it's going to get. And it may not be the government listening. It may be someone like me, you know, looking in through surveillance cameras and listening to the audio. Um, There's all kinds of ways to get into a home. But uh Dana I really appreciate you being on the show. It's been awesome.
1: Yeah, it's uh,
0: great. I can't wait to be on the podcast when it when it when it launches. I think it'll be good. And if you need help from us or or from the Haunted Hacker crew, let us know and and we'll be sure to to do our best to help you out.
1: Thank you very very much and thank you for having me. This was a, really a, a good time.
0: Absolutely. Thanks Dana. Bye guys.